You're listening to the sermon podcast of Covenant Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. To learn more about us, visit covbap.org. Now, today's sermon. Well, coming to the end of a sermon series is always a thing in the life of a preacher, for sure. But it's a thing in the life of a congregation. Our brother Gary Miller put a tie on this morning in honor of the end of the Roman series to mark this day. Pretty cool. He was telling me before the service started, he said, brother, do you realize that our first Sunday at CBC was the first sermon in Romans? And here we are at the 48th of 48 messages in this wonderful letter. We'll move on, should the Lord tarry, to consider other wonderful things in his scriptures. And we'll continue, should the Lord tarry, to see how all of the scriptures, Old or New Testament, regardless of genre, are a cohesive whole to tell us of our Savior. That's sweet. But our pointed consideration of this particular letter, at least in this way, is over after today. Romans is a remarkable letter. I trust you agree. May the Lord bless us and minister to us as we seek to put a bow on this sermon series this morning. As you're listening, and even as you're opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, listen this morning with this in mind, that we, as God's people, we love living in the world that God has made. Do we not? We do. And we love living life with other people made in God's image. We do. We love living life with other saints redeemed of God. And yet, this life is filled with trial, suffering of various kinds, things that legitimately make us afraid. And of course, there is death, the final enemy. So what hope, in light of that, the good, the bad, the joy, and the tears, what hope do you have? What hope do I have? May those be the lenses through which we see the end of this letter. In this series, You've heard the name John Calvin. You've heard the name Robert Haldane. These two brothers in the faith, long dead, have been companions of mine along the way through Romans. You've heard from them at points because I've quoted them. Well, what did they see fit to write about the end of this letter? Coming to the end of Romans, this wonderful book, what were their final thoughts? John Calvin writes these words, the conclusion of the letter serves to raise up and strengthen the confidence of the godly so that with hearts lifted up to God, they may fully expect all those things which are here ascribed to him and may also confirm their hope as to what is to come by considering his former benefits. Here you see that the gospel not only promises to us present grace, 
but also brings to us an assurance of that grace which is to endure forever. For God declares in it, in the gospel, that he is our father, not only at present, but that he will be so to the very end. Nay, his adoption extends beyond death, for it will conduct us to an eternal inheritance. Amen. Robert Haldane wrote these words, The doctrines unfolded in this epistle reveal to us the mighty plan of redemption by which our powerful spiritual enemies are overcome and all the strong and deeply rooted evils lodged within our bosoms shall finally be subdued. The attributes of God, especially his holiness and justice, when viewed through any other medium than that of the gospel, strike terror into the heart of man and lead him like Adam to hide himself among the trees of the garden. But these attributes in themselves so terrible to the guilty are through the merciful appointment of the mediation of our heavenly surety pledged for the deliverance of the Christian and for his eternal salvation. We praise the Lord for his goodness to us in Christ. Let's now look to the text. Romans 16, verses 21 through 27. Listen now as I read. This is the word of God. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, my plan this morning is to consider the two obvious sections of this passage. The first will be briefer than the second. And we will spend the bulk of our time drawing things out of the words of this second section of the text. So let's look to section one of these verses, verses 21 to 23, where we find Paul's final greetings, his salutation. Paul sends final greetings to the saints in Rome from those who are with him. Sends greetings from Timothy, a name that we know well, a co-worker, a fellow worker in the gospel alongside Paul. Paul sends greetings to the saints in Rome from Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, who were Paul's kinsmen, other Jews. Tertius, the one to whom Paul dictated the letter, greets the saints in Rome. So as Paul spoke, Tertius wrote, Gaius, who is host to Paul and his company, as well as the whole church, this is in Corinth. You can look at probably the next page in your Bible, 1 Corinthians 1.14. You see Gaius' name there. So he's host to Paul and all of these people with Paul, as well as the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets the saints in Rome, as does a man named Quartus. Now, we thought about the interconnectedness of the saints last week, how very clearly in the early 
decades of the church, the saints knew of each other, cared for one another, even from a distance. And we thought about how that's good for us even now in the 21st century to be mindful of the work of God in various places, to pray for that work, to pray for saints in other locations. And in as much as the Lord allows for us to be of a help and encouragement to our brothers and sisters in the Lord elsewhere. It's also cool that Paul, as an apostle, is happy to make it clear that other believers sign off on what he's written. Don't miss that. He's sending greetings from these other brothers And he's mentioned other sisters in the Lord in the past, but he's sending greetings from these other saints with him, demonstrating that they're with him, not just physically, but they're with him in the messages, in the words, in the truths, in the doctrines that he's written to them. Now, Paul didn't need the testimony of other people. He's an apostle after all. That's true. But it is sweet and appropriate to see that the collective affirmation of sound doctrine, a doctrine amongst Christians is a good thing. So we see some of that, even in verses 21 to 23. But now let's turn our attention more pointedly to the second section of today's text, which is verses 25 through 27. We could give a header, very simple, doxology and benediction. That's what this is. It's praise to God, and it's a good word to the saints in Rome. Paul begins in verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you. Notice that God is the one who is able to strengthen the saints in Rome. This is always the case. God is the one who strengthens his people. He's the only one who can. God is the only one who can affect true spiritual change. We as human beings can do a lot of things. We can pursue a number of things, even in the realms of spirituality and morality and the like. Philosophy, pick your discipline. We can pursue that stuff. But only God can affect Meaningful, salvific change. Now we, for our part, as God's people, we seek to apply and use the means that the Lord has given us. Do we not? We do. I mean, you're doing that by being here this morning. You realize we are seeking to be obedient to God's word, faithful to what he has called us to, even in being present with the saints on the Lord's day, so that the Lord might strengthen. There are other ways throughout the week that we seek to apply and use the means that the Lord has given. We seek to live intentional lives. We seek to be thoughtful. We seek to be wise. Nobody here, no believer in this room, thinks, man, it's a good thing that I would run off into foolishness. We seek to be wise. We fight, as has been acknowledged multiple times this morning, against the corruption of the flesh, the cravings, the desires, the passions of our old nature. We fight against it. 
part of living wisely in the world means we flee from sin. We don't run headlong into temptation. And only God can change our hearts. All of this is true. These things are in no way contradictory. Only God can strengthen the soul. Only God can sanctify. You've thought about this, I'm sure. Thoughtful people, as you are. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the only being in the universe who is intrinsically holy. Amen? The only one. And so if anything or anyone else is going to be holy, how will that happen? It is because he will make that so. And here's the thing. He is faithful to strengthen, to nourish, to convict, to sanctify all of his people. Faithful. He's doing it in your life even this morning. Paul goes on and says that this strengthening is according to his gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ. We're going to think more on that. The gospel, he goes on to modify this, right? May now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, let me tell you more of what I mean, according to i.e. the gospel is the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. This is how the Lord is going to do this. But has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. So let's pull some things. That's quite a sentence. Let's pull some things out of it. First, Observe that the gospel is the revelation of the mystery of Christ through the prophetic writings. See that. The gospel is the revelation of the mystery of Christ through the prophetic writings. Everything Paul has written in his letter has either pointed to Christ as the Savior, as the plan of God for redemption, or has been written in light of him. Here is how we then live. Everything is either pointing to him as the redeemer or is then coming down to earth as it will to say here is then how we would live in light of redemption that Christ has accomplished. Just like that's true of everything Paul has written in Romans, it is true of the entirety of the scriptures that everything in them points to Christ, who he is and what he has done, or then how we would live in light of his coming. Consider it. The gospel as the revelation of the mystery of Christ through the prophetic writings. Consider the promise of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The promised seed of the woman. And as we have remarked a number of times, the rest of the scriptures, the rest of this quite large book, is a revelation of the unfolding of the accomplishment of that promise that there would come one of the woman who would bruise the serpent's head and set God's people free. 
the scriptures, the prophetic writings, they write of one who would be the promised offspring of Abraham. The one in whom Abraham himself would trust. The one who would save the nations. The prophetic writings reveal and speak of a ruler who would come from one of the sons of Israel. From the line of Jacob. More particularly, from the line of Judah. The scriptures speak of a prophet like Moses who would be raised up. The prophetic writings reveal and speak of one who would be the Passover lamb for his people, who would take away the sin of the world, who would accomplish an even greater exodus than the one in Egypt. The scriptures speak of one who would make a sufficient once and for all time sacrifice for the sins of his people. Not just making them ceremonially clean, but cleansing their very consciences, cleansing them from all unrighteousness, setting them free to serve the living God. The prophetic writings speak of one who would be a high priest, the great high priest, like his people in every respect, yet without sin. The one mediator between God and man who would, unlike all the other priests, this one would live forever. And he would ever live to make intercession for his own. The prophetic writings speak of one who would make atonement for the sins of his people and take their sins away. And this would not need to be done one day every year on the day of atonement but would be done once and for all time. So that the Lord would no longer deal with his people according to their iniquity, but would remove their sin from them as far as the east is from the west. The prophetic writings speak of one who would come from the line of Jesse and from the line of David, of a ruler who would come from Bethlehem, who would sit on David's throne forevermore and reign over God's people in their own land. This one who would sit on David's throne would guard right worship. He would keep the law. He would represent his people under the law. He would execute justice and righteousness in the land. And he would fulfill the tabernacle and the temple He would truly be Emmanuel, God with us. The prophetic writings reveal one who is referred to as the servant of the Lord, who would perfectly do the Lord's will all the time. This servant would not break bruised reeds or put out smoldering wicks. This servant, at the same time, would set his face like flint toward Jerusalem. This servant would be crushed for the sins of his people in their place. He would bear their iniquities. 
And this servant would, through his righteousness, make many to be accounted righteous. The gospel is the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings. The prophetic writings speak of Christ. All of them. And all of this, this message of God's redemption accomplished through God's Messiah would be made known to the nations by the decree of God to bring the nations to faith. You see this. This is at the end of verse 26. By God's command or by God's decree, this message, this revelation of the Savior would go to the nations so that the nations would be brought to faith, to bring about the obedience of faith, as the text says. To obey the gospel is what? Is to trust in Christ. It is to turn to Christ in faith. It is to turn from self, from me, from my notions of my own worthiness and righteousness, from my sin, from my ruin, and turn to Christ in faith. That is to obey the good news. Dear friend, if you sit here this morning and you're new to Christianity, you're new to church, welcome. If you're sitting here today and you're a, a young person trying to figure out a number of things in life, not sure what to make of all of these things that these grown-ups are talking about, know one thing. To be a Christian is to not trust in yourself in any capacity, but it is to trust only in God the Son who took on flesh, who is, through his death, the forgiveness of your sins, who is, through his perfect law-keeping, your righteousness, who is, through his triumphant resurrection, your resurrection unto eternal life, who is, through his ascension to the right hand of the Father and through his intercessory work, is the one who will guard your soul unto salvation. Christ is all. Always and only Christ is the hope of the believer. If you have any questions about what it is to trust in him, I pray they're answered in this message. And if they're not, we can talk at the door after the service. The decree of God was that the message about his Christ would go to the ends of the earth, that the obedience of faith, that trusting in the Savior would occur amongst all of God's people. And the gospel and the preaching of Christ is how the nations are brought to faith. And observe this. This is huge. I can say that for myself. I can say that for your pastors. We understand this to be a significant and life-changing thing. When we come to see rightly what Paul says in the beginning of verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel 
and the preaching of Christ. The gospel and the preaching of Christ is how all of God's people are saved. And the gospel and the preaching of Christ is how all the saints are strengthened. Now, is that really true? Is that really true? Brother, surely there has to be more we can say. Well, of course there's more. We can talk law and gospel, exhortation, wisdom, life amongst the saints. We can talk about those things. Where, though, beloved, does the power unto sanctification, the power unto strength, the power unto conformity to Christ's image, where does the power come from? Only from Christ himself. His spirit at work in us and through us, only through the preaching of Christ for us. The message of Christ for us, Christ with us, is the power that strengthens and transforms and changes the saints. People come to faith and are brought from death to life through a message? That's what you're telling me? Through a message, bro? People are given eternal life by hearing a message about a person and believing in him. Yes. Those people who come to faith are then strengthened and sustained and sanctified and kept through the preaching of that same message and through the preaching of that same person? That's what you're telling me, bro? Yes. For real, Paul thought so. He thought so in his own words. He begins his letter. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Paul's own words, he said, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, why would he feel that way? Why would he be eager to go and preach the gospel to the saints in Rome. Well, he gives us his reason. For I'm not ashamed of that gospel, he says. For it is what? The power of God for salvation. All of it. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. To everyone who believes, yes. To everyone who believes. For in the gospel, says Paul, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the fact that God is righteous, though he is, praise be to his name, but the righteousness that God gives to sinners is revealed in the gospel. And that righteousness is received by faith. As it is written, the just 
shall live by faith. And then he goes on to make a brilliant argument by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He teaches us how all human beings are under sin. And so the only righteousness you could have, the only righteousness I could have, is that very righteousness of God given and received by faith. This is the case. Because even though God's existence is undeniable, look at the world that he's made. His power is evident. He has written his law into the creation. We can't deny that either. But we are so good at suppressing that truth, living in denial of that truth because we are unrighteous. The evidence that we are under condemnation and wrath is the fact that every human being has been given over to all manner of sin and debauchery. And it's so bad that not only do we do those things, we give approval to those who practice evil. We celebrate evil. Now, what about those who, because of God's grace, have grown up with some familiarity, the scriptures, the law. Maybe not like those pagans. What about them? Paul says we're without excuse. All human beings, even as he had the Jews particularly in mind in the church of Rome, all of you who pass judgment on those pagan people, condemn yourself. Because you practice the very things that you are condemning others for doing. Do you not know that the kindness of God, the patience of God is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you not know that because your heart is hard, you are storing up wrath for yourself? Because you foolishly think that other people will face the wrath of God for the things they've done but you somehow will not face the wrath of God for things that you've done. Make no mistake. God is a righteous judge. He is impartial. He doesn't grade on a curve. He plays no favorites. He will, because he's good and just, he will render to each person according to what we've done. Friend, if you're sitting here today and you're like, sounds good, sounds fair, render to each according to what he's done, keep listening. That is not a good word for a sinner, that he will render to each according to his works. Paul makes that very plain, that God will reward those who do good. He will reward those who diligently seek him, but he makes it plain that it is not those who have heard the law of God. It is those who practice it, who do it, who will be justified. We cannot boast in having the law because in boasting in having the law, we dishonor God by the fact that we've all broken it. We might have it, but we haven't kept it. And even for a Jewish person, who would have been circumcised, given the old covenant sign of being a part of God's temporal people. Paul says, circumcision is of no value to you unless you keep the law. 
Because the circumcision God cares about is a heart level, spiritual level reality. He continues on. It is true that God rewards those who do good. The problem is no one is righteous, no not one. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. It is true that God will reward those who diligently seek him. But as it's written, none is righteous, no not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. For a sinner, the only thing that God's law can do for us in ourselves is shut our mouths and condemn us all. Paul says so. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now, here's the good news. Everything you've heard up to this point is law. Here is the good news. Here is the wisdom of God and salvation. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, bears witness to it. What righteousness is that? It is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Just like Adam did in the garden, we have fallen short of glory. We will not make it to glory on our own steam. At the end of Genesis 3, you remember how Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. And there were angels, cherubim, placed there at the entrance to the garden with flaming swords. Frightening image to guard the way to the tree of life because Adam and Eve no longer had access to it. Not on their own merit. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so the only way for a sinner to be found just is by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. A sinner will be found just because Christ is just and that sinner is united to Jesus. That is how salvation happens. We are unashamed that sinners are justified by faith apart from works. Apart from anything that you've ever done, apart from anything that you're presently doing, apart from anything that you might conceivably ever accomplish. None of that. None of that is even a piece of your righteousness before the Lord. We are unashamed that it is all of Christ or it is all of you. If you're going to accept the work of the law, you better keep the whole thing. And if you have failed in any part of the law, you're guilty of breaking it all, and you are therefore ruined. O sinner, flee to Christ who is your righteousness. Do we then overthrow the law, though, by this faith? Are we against the law? By no means. We show the law the greatest honor and the greatest respect that we could ever show the law by upholding Christ, God the Son, as the one who came to endure the law's curse 
and to fulfill its requirements. Paul makes plain that just as it was with Abraham, who did not achieve anything according to the flesh, so it is with us. To the one who works, his wages are not a gift, they're your due. But to the one who doesn't work, but trusts in the one who justifies the ungodly, faith is counted as righteousness. As it was with Abraham, so it is with all the saints. Does the gospel and the preaching of the gospel really sustain and nourish and strengthen the Christian? You tell me, as you sit here today, facing the joy and the trial, as we've already alluded to, the laughter and the tears, as you look out over the rest of your life, should the Lord tarry? Maybe that's a few years, maybe it's many. None of us, of course, are promised tomorrow. As you sit, you tell me over these next few minutes whether the gospel and the preaching of Christ can strengthen the Christian. Paul makes plain that because we have been justified by faith, declared just on account of Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we now Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now. No matter what we're going through, no matter what difficulty might lie around the corner, we have peace with God. And we will have it forever. This is because... The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is because... While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. How much more so? Now that we have been reconciled, will we finally be saved by Christ? That matters for your Tuesday morning. That matters for my Thursday afternoon. That matters when you're sitting in the doctor's office. I have peace with God now and forever. That matters when it feels like your home is in shambles and nothing's going well, I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and I can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because I know that Christ has me. Just as surely as Adam's sin and guilt were counted to me, just as surely will the righteousness of Christ be mine on that final day and How much more so will I reign in eternal life, in righteousness, because of Christ Jesus, my Lord? The gospel is so powerful, the work of Christ so sufficient, that even as God's law came in to increase the sinfulness of sin, the grace of God is greater. And that does not mean that we don't care about holiness. That means that we live lives in union with Christ and we live like who we are now. Should we continue in sin because grace is going to cover it all? By no means. We have been united to the Savior. We've been baptized into him. His death is our death. We have been justified from sin's guilt. We have been set free from sin's dominion and we have become obedient from the heart. It's a good word. 
And so we now hold fast to our confession that we have been, through Christ, made dead to sin and alive to God. We encourage one another. You remember your former life, brother? Sister, you remember how things were before you knew Jesus and how you were running off into all kinds of foolishness and sin? How did that go for you? We, we encourage each other this way. What good did you get from all that sin and all that pleasure you were pursuing? Not at all. And the end of that was death. You know it and I know it. But now, because of God's extravagant grace and mercy, though our sins deserve death, God has given us the gift of eternal life in Christ. We have been set free from the law to be kept for righteousness. We've been set free from the condemnation of the law, and we now serve God in the Spirit, not by the old way of the written code. The law, brother, sister, is good. But we're sinners, sold under sin. The law is holy, and everything that it commands is righteous and good, and it shows us the depth of our sin that we might always trust in the Savior. We encourage each other. I know, brother, just like me, you often do what you don't want to do. I know, sister, that the good you want to do, you often don't accomplish it. You, like me, like Paul, understand that we are wretched men and women who will deliver us. Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we encourage each other with these truths that God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could never do. That by sending his son in the likeness of our flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. And he did this also in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, not trying to establish our own righteousness, but receiving the righteousness of Christ. We encourage each other Brother, sister, saints, right now, we groan. We groan. We groan and the creation groans with us. But take heart in this, that the very Spirit of God who indwells us is with us in the groaning. He gets up under the burden with us. He intercedes for us. When we don't know what to pray as we ought, we trust that the Lord is praying for us and intercedes on our behalf. We know that no matter how things look right now, God has worked all things for the eternal good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. We encourage each other that nothing in all of the universe, not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers, nor powers, nor our own sin will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We encourage each other that the word of God never fails. That he has saved every one of his people from all of history, from the Jews and also from the Gentiles. That in God's extravagant wisdom, in his perfect plan to save his people, Israel rejected him for a time and the gospel went to the nations and the Jews then see the salvation of the nations that are themselves brought to faith 
That God in his ways that are above ours will save all of his people, including you and including me. We encourage each other. We encourage each other that the righteousness God requires is not far off. We don't need to ascend to heaven to bring it down, nor ascend to descend to the abyss to bring it up. The word is near to us, and all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We encourage each other that the gifts and the callings of God will never be taken away. We encourage each other that though our sins are many, his mercy is more. And then we live in light of it. We live in light of it in the community of the church. I appeal to you, says Paul, by the mercies of God to present yourselves as living sacrifices. By the mercy of God in light of everything that he's done for you, how do you want to live for him? Present yourself as a living sacrifice, as a living stone that is being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Love your brothers and sisters. Give of the gifts that the Lord has given you in the church. Serve humbly. Pursue unity. Love one another. Submit to governing authorities because God has instituted them. In all things, remember that the one debt you owe everyone is to love them because to love your neighbor is to fulfill the law. In the church, the strong and the weak are to bear with one another. Pursue unity. Let your love for one another govern your exercise of your freedom. In all things, consider others as more significant than yourselves. And we take heart that as we look out over the landscape of the world, as crazy as the news headlines might be, the fact that churches like this exist all over the planet is evidence that God is saving his people and that the words of the prophets are coming true. And that we get the privilege of being a part of this wonderful plan of redemption that God is accomplishing. We get the privilege as men and women, as Jews and Gentiles, as people of high status and people of no status, we have the privilege of working together in the church to see more people come to know Christ and to see more people ushered to the banks of the Jordan River and escorted into the heavenly kingdom. We have that privilege. We in the church, we guard sound doctrine. We watch over each other, knowing that the evil one wages war against us. But we take heart in it all, knowing that there's a day coming when God will crush Satan under our feet. In verse 27, the last verse of the letter, Paul writes these words. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Just as God is the only one who is intrinsically holy, he is the only one who is wisdom in and of himself. To the only wise God be glory. And notice that to the only wise God, there will be glory forevermore. How? Through whom? Through Jesus Christ. All of the glory that will redound to God through all of eternity will do so through Jesus. That's a lot of glory, guys that is going to redound 
and rebound and reverberate all throughout the new heavens and the new earth every day, forever and ever. And it will do so through Jesus. It is Jesus that created all things in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him. Marvel at him. The one who saved you is the one for whom, through whom, and from whom all things exist. And you know in your heart and you know in your soul that that is right. This isn't about your glory or mine. This isn't about the accomplishments of men. This is about Jesus and the fame of his name forever. Be encouraged that the one who made all things and for whom all things exist, though we are weak and frail and often afraid, and though he is as glorious as he is, he is the one who loves you. He loves you. He loves me. That matters for your Wednesday afternoon. The one who spoke all things into existence loves you. The one whose glory is the point of the universe loves you. You are the joy. To inherit the saints is the joy that was set before Christ and the reason that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He will inherit a people forever. And this brings God glory and it brings God great joy. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature. He is the power of God, says the scriptures. He's the wisdom of God, says the scriptures. To God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How? The God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. How? In the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus has become to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He has conquered all of our enemies and he has subdued all of the evil in our souls and he has set us free and the best word a sinner could ever hear is that you are Christ's. You belong to him. You are his and he is yours. It's what it is to be a Christian. And so with the psalmist, all of the redeemed of God, all who have been united to Christ found in him with the psalmist sing a new song to the Lord. We do. Get ready in a few minutes when we conclude this service. We're going to sing a new song to the Lord. Sing to one another. Encourage each other as we come to the table and as we sing of feasting forever in the house of Zion with our Savior. We will sing to the Lord a new song for what? He has done marvelous things. 
His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. The sermon title It's kind of like the Sunday school answer equivalent of a sermon title, right? Christ is all. We read from Colossians 1 and 2 earlier that Jesus has reconciled all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. That means saints, angels, elders, living creatures, all those things in heaven and on earth. Christ has reconciled to himself, all of us, and he has made peace by the blood of his cross. And so as we leave Romans and we make our way into other passages of Scripture, remember, beloved, that having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. We have that peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is not going anywhere. There is no reason anymore to be afraid. There is every reason to be filled with hope and joy and comfort because Jesus has won. He has won. And we are his. To God be the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray.